Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm here with returning guest, Corey Flanders. Uh, we interviewed Corey last year about trauma that he experienced in a spiritual community. Um, he talked about his Buddhist practice. He talked about his psychotherapy practice. And today we're talking about the hot topic, which is psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. And Corey, I'm so happy to have you on because I want to hear from you know both you being a client of this, right? Being a Buddhist practitioner, being a therapist. Like I think you have a really great perspective on what this new emerging field is. So Corey, welcome to the show. Oh God, Mark, thank you so much for having me back on. It's like so good to see you, man. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Yeah. Before I dive in, I just, I just, you know, I've been hearing great things about you. You're like living up in the mountains and enjoying life these days. Is that true? Yeah. I moved up to Evergreen, <laughs> which is like a mountain town, 40 minutes outside of Denver. We spent through our first winter, which was ridiculous. The, um, the house came with a truck, with a plow truck. So I've been learning how to plow, which was <laughs> really? really funny because I fucked up my driveway for sure. Um, oh, it's yeah. like, you know, since you got to crash into stuff, but you crash into the right stuff, not the wrong stuff. We had a pipe burst. Um, we're de- bear season is starting, so I'm uh, learning mackerel. how to be a mountain man. It is making me like a harder, a harder man. Um, and I, yeah, I, yeah, I love it. I mean, some days are pure terror, but for the most part, I, I love it. It's awesome. No, oh, that's great, man. Uh, it makes me want to just stay here in Rhode Island, right next to the beach. Right, exactly. <laughs> no yeah. bears, no plowing. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to build like a beautiful home in like a hostile environment, you know? Oh, right. I was just out last weekend grinding up some stumps and chopping down trees. It's, you know, good, good man points, I think. Um, That's amazing, man. I have to visit you sometime. 100%. Yeah, I would really, yeah. I'd really like that. Um, That's great. So tell us a little bit about your MDMA experience. Uh, what prompted it, what you were thinking about going into it, and yeah, run the story back. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the last time I was on the show, I was talking about, as you mentioned, the the trauma that I, you know, sort of incurred in the spiritual community. But um, really, over the past year or so, uh, I've become more, you know, everybody's into psychedelic assisted psychotherapy these days, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, everybody's talking about it. Uh, many therapists I know are doing it, um, you, know, you know, from the, ex- the side of experiencing it. Um, but I had noticed for many years that whenever I would get around anybody who would talk about psychedelics or drugs generally, um, I would have a really intense, um, I would call it a PTSD response in my system. I would get really super activated and really fearful. Um, and I actually know where that comes from. Um, when I was 18 years old, uh, I had a very powerful LSD trip that I did with friends. And there was no uh, notion of uh, these days, we talk a lot about set and setting, right? Like, what's the right mindset? And then like, where are you doing these things? Are you safe? Right? Um, Back then, you know, being 18, you know, sort of on my own in college for the first time, it was like, mindset was like, I don't know, (laughs) just give it to me. You know, and setting was like, wherever we felt like going. So, um, I had a really, uh, extraordinarily bad trip during that time, uh, for the first 12 hours, it was blissful and wonderful. And then my friends left me alone. Uh, they had to go home and I ended up for another 12 hours, really just stuck in fight or flight, um, and, and frantic to get out of it and having no way of getting out of it. So I, I knew that that was where this activation would come from whenever I would hear anybody even talk about, you know, smoking weed, for instance, you know, and cannabis use now is everywhere. Sometimes I'd even smell it on the street, which you can smell all over the place. And I would get this response. 
Um, so I had been reading stuff and, and I ended up watching um, How to Change Your Mind on Netflix, that Michael Pollan-based uh, series. And uh, the first episode was about MDMA and they talked about how it could really help with, um, with PTSD. And they were finding this and doing research on this. And I, I really just kind of had this research question, a personal research question come up in my mind, which was, could one of these drugs, you know, empathogen like MDMA or entheogen like psilocybin, LSD, could it help to actually undo the PTSD that a drug like that had caused? So that was really what set me down in the path. Um, because with all the activation, I could also see this interest in me. You know, I really do believe that it's doing a lot of good for people. And as a spiritual practitioner, you know, what's the old book by Aldous Huxley? You know, The Doors of Perception. Yeah. Right. I, I can see, and I could see even my initial LSD trip, right? It, it takes away the veils and something is seen or heard from beneath. And I knew the potential of it, but I, the PTSD was standing in my way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what um, inspired you to reach out to a practitioner and try to overcome it? Right. Cause that's, that's a big step in of itself. Just making that first phone call and being like, I'm going to confront this traumatic memory rather than just try to avoid it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know people around me, uh, a few people were getting good benefit from it, and I was hearing you know stories about it. Uh, so that was something, and I think you know that that piece of just knowing that there's something there for me. You know, I think in Tibetan Buddhism we often talk about. I don't really practice in Tibetan Buddhism anymore, but I had for so many years. And we often talk about preparing for death, right? And working through your stuff. And I could tell this fear in me was, was a big obstacle for a deeper freedom just in my, my waking life, right? Uh, and I could see the implications as I'm getting older now, you know, moving through my 50s. And as I'm getting older, I can see the implications for, you know, when I start to, you know, go, for, go toward the, uh, the big D, um, so, so I wanted to do the work. I mean, it's kind of what I'm about. Um, it's what spiritual work is about in a way, right? Like getting rid of, of the stuff that binds you and, and learning freedom. Yeah. Um, so that was really where I was coming from with it. And that's what caused me to reach in that direction. Okay. Yeah. So walk us through what was the process like when you were on it? I'm, I'm assuming and please correct me if I'm wrong that you hadn't done MDMA before. Is that like your first experience um, with the drug? I, you know, I had done MDMA, you know, probably three times. I, I had done ecstasy three times yeah. back in, you know, when I was at the University of New Mexico years ago in my early 20s. But, uh, yeah, this stuff's cut with, you know, meth, basically. Yes. Um, and the first time was fairly pleasurable um, and kind of eye-opening. But then the second and third time, you know, it was like, felt like I had, it had been like, Kind of like snorting like sort of ant poison or something like I was like on fire and angry mm-hmm. um, for hours and hours and hours and so never went back to it and um, so I, I anyways I had heard there was a woman that um, I know is a, is a deep friend from back in the, my Buddhist days and she is um, she's I think she's sixty nine or so now and she had just done MDMA and uh, she. I was talking to her and I said, do you have any names of, you know, people that, you know, who did you use? Do you have any, anybody that might be close to me? So she gave me a couple of names and I just reached out to somebody and uh, they got back to me right away. And uh, that's just started the process. Uh, I want to say that I needed to find somebody. I could tell that I needed to find somebody who was probably going to be a female and was probably going to have a nurturing quality to them and a very holding quality due to the nature of the fear. Like I have, I have therapist friends who are males who are, um, and I, this isn't really gendered, but they happen to be males. And there's a way in which I think males, you know, in order to individuate or get away from their parents or, you know, find their way forward they're you know, they're out in the woods or, you know, off doing drugs together or getting fucked up and, 
So I, you know, I, some of the therapists I know are still kind of doing these things that way. Yeah. Um, and and I, I could just tell that that was the wrong way. It wasn't the right holding environment, the right set mindset for me. Um, but I was just really lucky that this clicked. And she was also very um, skilled at doing trauma work in the early going. Uh, so we spent three or four sessions, full sessions, without me doing anything, just you know, doing a little bit of trauma work, me feeling more safe with her. And, and she also was the one who steered me away from psilocybin and said, like, why don't we just get something on board in your system, a molecule that's actually going to put your fear centers to sleep and will flood you with serotonin and dopamine and, and those, uh, you know, sort of happy um, uh, chemicals that we have inside of us. Uh, so, so it was a, it was a good fit and, and, and we made the, the plan to go forward with MDMA and, uh, she, she just walked me through it and, and all that. So set a date and then, um, it took about six weeks and then I went to go see her, um, and, and add my experience, uh, which I can certainly talk about, but it was, um, mind blown. Yeah. Tell, mind tell blown. me about the day. I mean, I, I love I love how she took her time with it and it wasn't just like, let's just bang this out. Or like you said, have this like jackhammer type approach, right? It sounds like it was real. Like I think of like a massage approach, right? Where it's like, let's work the muscles, let's warm you up. Like let's slowly kind of feel where the knots are and then get in with, with right timing. I mean, maybe we'll talk about it later in the show, but there, there are so many ways that people are doing it. And similar to you, there's some that I respect and some that I think are actually quite dangerous. Um, and it yeah. sounds like this, practitioner was really um cautious which i think is great right i think it's, i think it's really good it sounds like that's what your system responded to it was what i needed yeah it was 100%. what i what i required in order to be able to actually continue to do the exploration mm-hmm. yeah and and um you know she used a little bit of ifs actually which i'm not the hugest fan of but it was kind of working in the way that she did it and she even you know said to the part of me that that was so present and still terrified right it i was allowed to bring that part forward just talk from that place like you know you're freaking me out right now or this is scaring me or you know what happens when um and she just you know helped to center that part in a way and just say like listen even in the experience this resistance is the thing that we can actually just invite in and give as much love as you want to give it. And, and when she said that, like that part just calmed right down and made more room to, for the, for the experience to actually happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just to walk you through a little bit of the actual experience, um, because there's drug fear, right? There's, there's still going to, there was still some parts of me, you know, that inside were freaked out. So I get up to the place, we, you know, we get in there. I, you know, she takes me up to the second floor to her room. It was a very nice room, but because of some of the PTSD I have around uh, spiritual community, there was some Buddhist stuff and that was kind of freaking me out. I think my hypervigilant mind was looking for ways to be freaked out. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So that was a little freaky. And then, you know, we went through our process. She brought forward the, the medicine. Um, and we had talked a lot about where it, where it had been sourced. So they source with a chemist who does just this. And so it's not cut with anything. It's pure. And she had a couple of different dosing options. And she did this sort of like, you know, little woo-woo-ish kind of thing where it's like, you know, okay, hold one in one hand, one in the other hand trying to determine which is the better fit for your feel the vibe for you. yeah. feel the vibe yeah uh and i i felt the vibe and and mostly there was a lot of noise of anxiety but strangely this the right hand wanted to be the one that you know and it happened to be uh the largest dose too uh so she dosed me and um and it started to hit, uh, and it took about an hour, you know, and we were chit-chatting and talking and, and, uh, uh, it started to hit and, um, that's when the panic started to take over. Yeah. Uh, so I got kind of steamrolled at the very beginning. Um, 
And really, I would just say that the, the really very first piece was feeling it come in so strongly, so strongly that I actually got up out of the chair and hit the floor, like got down on my hands and knees. And then my initial reaction was like, oh, fucking no. Yeah, like, like I made a big mistake. A big mistake because it was really strong. Yeah. Yeah. So it, um, yeah, I made a big mistake. I hit the uh, hit the ground and and I was thinking to myself, I sort of had this experience of, you know, in Buddhism, sometimes they talk about like the vessel of the self um, being broken open. And, you know, the nature of mind has always been always around us. And, you know, it's the individual pot that breaks. And now we become sort of one and we, or we recognize that our mind is everywhere. Right. Our essential nature is vast and all inclusive. So it was a little bit like that. You know, when I hit the ground, I felt like a vessel that was trying to contain the universe. Yeah. And uh, it was it was <laughs> a scary experience. But then the vessel broke. And uh, and as that, you know, experience shifted, which it did very dramatically, suddenly all fear was gone. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting on the floor. Um, and I was in bliss, you know, it was a blissful, uh, experience. And the, there was two things that I said as she came over, she was always taking copious notes throughout. The first one was, and most of this I learned after the fact, um, I said, if I get afraid again, um, will you remind me to be patient? Uh, so that was the first thing I said. And the second thing I said was, I feel like I'm moving through the cosmos as the cosmos. So it was a, it was a profound uh, spiritual experience right out of the gate. that um, was in keeping with, uh, you know, so much I had, you know, experienced before in meditation, but you know, you read about, you know, it's like these drugs have a tendency to push us right into the deepest spiritual experiences, um, you know, and thankfully, and, and thankfully I was also ready for that and prepared for that with all the practice I had done where I wasn't ready for it when I was 18. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was either overwhelming or like, is that trying to resist it, trying not to break? Right. Right. And as an 18 year old, it's like, you're not skilled, right? You have no, you believe your mind completely. And uh, that, that was, you know, the terror got overwhelming and I, I couldn't make it stop. And that was, I think, the, sort of the thing that set the PTSD in my system. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like a really powerful experience. We're going to move to our first commercial break. When we come back, I want to hear about the after effects and what you've taken from that, right? Um, yeah. And just kind of how, yeah, how that lived with you today. Uh, so if you're listening, thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, .teachable.com. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with Corey Flanders and we're talking about MDMA and psychedelic assisted therapy. You know, Corey, as you were telling your story, I am just impressed that you did it with another person, right? Like that you had a, a guide there. You know, when I've had these experiences, maybe we'll talk about them later in the show. I've either done MDMA in like a large crowd, like a rave experience, which actually I feel safe in, like kind of anonymous, but around people, right? Um, or alone, right? I recently did a, a mushroom trip um, where I was completely alone. And I feel, I always feel safer alone, more in control or something. But um, I'm always curious about that relational aspect because I think for me, I would be really um, hypervigilant of the other person or I don't know, it'd be, it'd be weird. It'd be hard for me to fall apart in front of another person. There'd be a lot going on. So I'm just curious if that was a factor for you and, and what the relational component brought out. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you're asking that, you know, because I think um, there was a huge component and it was a surprising component because yeah. I think part of me was like, sort of like, oh, I'll take that and then that will go away. You know, <laughs> I'll take that and the PTSD will be gone. Magic, you know. Um, and when I, you know, as I said, I went down on the ground, hit the ground when it was hitting me there is that piece of, of the, of me sort of breaking apart. But then in the back of my mind, I was like, Oh no, I have to fake this for her benefit. Oh, like you for, to, it's going to be like eight hours. It's right? faking. I want to make sure everyone said like faking is like, I need to have a profound experience. So she doesn't feel bad about herself. Like, is that exactly. Okay. That's yeah. exactly. Or not have a bad time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not have a bad trip which yeah. is, you know, it somehow is related to exactly the state of mind I was in uh, back when I was 18, because I, I was all alone. And I felt what I felt was I couldn't go home to my mother. Uh, because my mother was so anti drug, you know, I was very moralistic about it. So I sort of had that in my superego. Um, like drugs are bad, they're really scary, they're really dangerous. Don't come here with that. You're not going to get any help or understanding with that. Um, and, and that was the sort of relational parameter, the attachment parameter that sort of locked me into a sense of aloneness. And it came up right away um, where it was like I was somehow responsible for her feelings, you know, the, the, um, the person I worked with, just like I had always been responsible for my mother's feelings. Um, or felt that way, you know, in case my mom's listening, I'm not saying that I was responsible for your feelings, mom. <laughs> um, uh, but that's how it always felt. And, and afterwards, you know, uh, I could go on to wax ecstatic about the actual experiences that I had. It just sort of waved through for hour after hour. And it was really delightful to be with her. But really what happened for me that, became part of the, the deep work that is going to continue uh, me moving in the direction of this work is um, I realized that that alone piece is the thing that needs healing. Um, so like when I was at the end of the, the MDMA trip, um, you know, we're talking, you know, seven hours later or something, um, you know, I didn't want to leave. And I knew I had to go back to my Airbnb. I was going to come back the next morning for an integration session of a couple hours, but I didn't want to go yeah. because it was going to replicate something that had occurred for me before. Um, and she almost, it was almost like she had to like kick me out. And I was also taking care of her at the time. And I realized that she needed me to go and then I had to go. And so I went and, and then, and then muscled, you know, white knuckled through it through most of the evening. I did okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. 
and and um, you know, I, I'm more much more skilled than I was when I was 18, but it was still not comfortable, and it was scary. Um, and I actually, you know, the more I've been, you know, sort of sitting with this mark too, the more I, you know, from a therapy standpoint, right? We I mentioned the word superego, and we talk about the id and the ego and the superego. And I think, you know, one of the things that these drugs do is they sort of like take all of that stuff away and we're just with our deepest self. And then as, as our individuality starts to reassert itself at the end of the trip, it's like there are different layers of stuff. Um, for me in, in particular, it was about this sort of mother superego that reasserted itself and I was like, again, you've done the wrong thing. This is dangerous. Why did you do this? What if you can't put it back in the box? Um, and that's the fear. That was the PTSD. Yeah. And for years and years and years, I thought it was the drug itself. But it was really the relational component of being alone that was the problem. That's a really incredible insight, right? Like, And what, what you're saying is just a highlighted right i think drug experience i've had it with long meditation retreat experience coming back and reintegrating like seeing those layers build back right and it sounds like for you right. seeing that judgment voice come back on and be like whoa this this wasn't here for eight hours and look how happy i was and it, I, I must imagine it must have been so stark to just see those thoughts come back and to have the experience of what could life be like without that right right and and also having this feeling like, you know, not really even recognizing that that wasn't me, yeah. you know, those voices weren't me, you know, they were just so, it had been so strong in my life that I just take them for granted mm-hmm. that, you know, that these sort of fearful voices are telling me, they're pointing to some truth that I need to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, over, you know, overarchingly, the reality was everything was great. I came back, I was perfectly safe. And, you know, I gelled up just fine. I went to work a couple of days later, you know, and if anything, I'm, I'm the better for it. Uh, but I think this is uh, the thing that's going to move me in the direction of uh, the person I work with actually also does small groups. Um, so I try to decide, like, how am I going to work with this? One of the ways I thought was I might have somebody that I really trust be there in the interim at the end of an individual trip and just take care of me for like, you know, the 10 hours until we have our reintegration session. The other way is I think I'm going to go and actually, you know, get into a group and be with people, stay with them. You finish the trip, then you spend the night together, you wake up, you do all your integration together so that there is always this sense of togetherness that I can explore. Because like you, I'm also not, I don't really do that togetherness so well. Like I'm not very trusting, you know. <laughs> Uh, not a very trusting guy in that way. Yeah. It's been a long road. Me neither. Yeah, it's really difficult for me to bring other people into a vulnerable space um, and to be taken care of, right? It's like, because it's true for you. Like I resist it with everything I have and it's something that I deeply want, right? Like it's both. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, That's right. Yeah. Right. And I, you know, with my with my wife and my kid and now my two dogs, you know, it's like been step by step, like letting down the guard and letting people in who are actually also trustworthy, mm-hmm. right? Like I always, you know, I think undistrustful people end up in relationship with people that like, you know, want them to be different and that, you know, then get upset about that. And so then, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. So to bring you back to the MDMA, right. I'm curious. So, you know, we set up this email or this podcast through email like months ago, right. Yeah. Um, so I imagine this was a while back and I'm curious, right? What are the long-term effects? Because I've heard some people say, you know, it changed my life and it's great. Some people say, you know, yeah, I thought about it for a month and then I just kind of went away. Some people are like, oh, I'm really itching for another one. Right. But I'm curious for you, what has the long-term outcome been like? Yeah. Um, and I've had my, my, my mind on this, you know, and I've been watching myself and, and, you know, and, and part of it is like, oh, yeah, I don't want to really over attribute, you know, effects, you know, how my life is to that. But I, I think it's pretty for me, it's it's pretty dramatic. Just for can you remind? I mean, I guess let me know and tell the listeners how long ago was the was the experience? 
Yeah, so the experience was at the beginning of November. Um, and and so, yeah, I've kept my mind on it. And I, I just, I guess I'll just tell you what I think about it now, which is my mind has been getting clearer and clearer. I think right out of the gate, right out of the box, uh, post um, experience, there was a layer, this, this to me points to the PTSD, there was a layer of anxiety that had been in my system that was the water I was swimming in. So I didn't actually, I couldn't feel its presence until it was gone. And as that was taken away, you know, in the weeks following, I was like, wow, that's profound. Um, I didn't realize I had been so amped up uh, and so anxious. Um, after that experience, um, that realization, within a month, I stopped drinking. And I'm not a heavy drinker, really, you know, as I've gotten older, like, you know, one or two beers on Friday kind of thing. Um, I just really can't tolerate it. Um, but I'll do it regularly. And I'm often depressed for a couple of days afterwards. And for whatever reason, I was like, I don't have any taste for this at all anymore. And um, since that time, you know, that was around the first of the year. Uh, since that time, I've just felt my mind get clearer and clearer and clearer, less kind of bipolarism, um, less super amped and then, and then depressed or, and, you know, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't have bipolar disease, but I definitely have that, those aspects in my mind. Um, I stopped biting my nails, my fingernails, you know, so just, you know, th these are kind of seem like a little, maybe, weird or maybe in, inconsequential in a way, but like I have been trying to quit biting my nails since I was 10. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been able to do it, you know? Um, so those were, those are some of the effects. And, and I think, uh, you know, I also just experience, it's almost a spatial experience of my brain and my mind where um, it always felt kind of craggy and and now the spatiality is smooth and open and throughout my day it's much more even open clear and cool is kind of my lived experience this spring mm -hmm. so those are those are some of the some of the experiences you know right afterwards you know it was like maybe around christmas i was driving home too and i drove by you know like a cannabis dispensary and normally I would drive by a can cannabis dispensary and I would be like, um, I would start to have that PTSD response, but I just drove by and I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I realized that I could entertain ideas of like, you know, taking a gummy or something and seeing, you know, that kind of thing without that, um, without the intensity of that backlash inside me. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Just like removing that judgment layer. And like you said, being aware of something that was so, you know, internalized. I mean, that's, this is my first experience with MDMA, very similar. Um, I was actually feeling some of that as, as you were talking and sharing is, for mine, it was, you know, in college um, at a rave in Pittsburgh, right? And I took MDMA, um, I don't know how pure it was, but essentially, and it's a larger story, but I didn't say no to any drug because uh, I was trying to, it was like toxic masculinity, I need to prove myself. I don't want to look like a pussy, right? Like I'm just going to take anything. So all right. I have to say is I came into it afraid and I came into it feeling insecure right? Because I was like, I, I've never done this before, but I need to pretend like I know what this is. I don't want them to know that this is my first time. Um, and I, I took it and I just, I was at this, you know, this dance and like, I just remember, I get emotional when I think about it, like seeing the fear drop away because I would go to raves. I, I liked the music, but I'd always be self-conscious. I had a lot of like body shame and self-hate and i didn't think i could dance and i was like too afraid to talk to girls and like even though i i like thought it was cool to go i never showed up at those in the way that i wanted to in a way right mm -hmm. but i kept kind of forcing myself and then i remember being there and just like dancing and moving and having all that fear drop away and just having this kind of what you're saying like this um almost like sunrise over a wide open plane of like holy shit i carry so much fear like so much, so much fear down to, you know, when I talk about the nail biting, like down to my body posture. And I was like 
fidgeting and like all that stuff like dropped away. And I think for the first time in my entire life up to that point, I actually inhabited my body and I felt like love and I felt connection and I felt confidence in a way that I've never, ever felt confidence before. And like, just to know that that was possible and that like the way that I was living was um, I'm going to say not normal, but it probably is very common, but like, just not, not, not the default, I guess. Right. Or I wasn't like, forced to live in this way of fear and anxiety that there is another option was just yeah. like unbelievably powerful um, yeah to a point I, I mean i did a lot of mdma so i ended up chasing that dragon and i never quite get it got it in the same way but through right. like spiritual practice through therapy through like knowing just knowing that it's out there right knowing that like yeah. there is there is a right. promised land that was it was a really good north star i think without that experience i would not have been motivated to do a lot of the self-work and to um, just try to be more confident, I guess, right. Or try to get rid of that fear. Cause I, again, like right. probably what you're saying, like, I just thought it was me. I didn't, I didn't know that there was an alternative. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, it just reminds me in, in the Dzogchen uh, tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, they arrange the path of spiritual progress as glimpse meditation and action and glimpse is that glimpse that you're talking about is like once we just get a taste of it, whether having it pointed out or, you know, we're look, glancing at the sky and our mind drops away or we take something like this and it, it just makes something happen like that becomes the pole star now through which I can like live the life of meditation and move into a more, you know, um, expansive action in my life and be more relational. Yeah, I like that yeah. framework of it. Right. And I think that can be one of the powers of the psychedelic therapy is to get that glimpse and to let people know um, on such like a visceral spiritual level, right. That like stuff that we took for granted, like that fear that you carried around. Um, yeah. Doesn't have to be there. Right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. So we're going to move into our final commercial break. When we come back, I think we'll chat a little bit about the industry where you think psychedelic physical therapy is going. Um, and talk to our listeners about uh, where they might do if they want to get started or they want to learn more about it. So um, if you're listening, hang on in and we'll see you on the other side. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. Sitting here with Corey Flanders, and we're talking about kind of 
MDMA, the long-term effects, and as therapists, where this goes. Um, and Corey, you, you were mentioning over the break, and I think it's a really important thing to start on, is that this stuff isn't a cure, right? Like like you were saying before, it's a glimpse, it's a data point, it's a inspirational moment. Um, but can you say more about that, of how you imagine experiences like this fitting into a larger journey? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I can say, like, you know, it's a really powerful data data point. Yeah. And for people, you know, I mean, think about all the people we've ever worked with, you know, and think about ourselves and our past, right? Like how much stuff we're fighting upstream against in our own psychologies that make it so hard to even just taste goodness, you know, or that life could be fucking happy. Like that's the most revolutionary possibility actually that we have. And it's one I'm absolutely rabid about. And to me, these, these um, medicines, molecules, uh, they, they're amazing at actually cutting through all of that and, and showing us what can be possible, just like you illustrated so beautifully with your um, taking MDMA at the rave. Um, and, and it's amazing. But I think that, you know, there's a... You know, I hate people who talk with it. Oh, I think there's a danger. Like, I don't really think it's a danger, but I just think that there's a little bit of a disservice because when we talk about these things, you know, we make it sound so great because we're talking about the great stuff. You know, we're talking about how amazing it is and it's totally amazing, but it, it has to exist. These experiences have to be understood to exist within the, the larger context of your whole life. And that work it has to be ongoing, whether therapy work or um, meditation and and other things um because these you know all the psychology the superego everything is going to reassert itself after your you know the molecule has left your system and uh and like you said do many people end up chasing the dragon right or like thinking like that's it and now i'm going to attribute the the medicine is the thing that's causing that um and that's the that's the real potential for a disservice and, um, you know, I just, I just wanted to, you know, caution people to just be realistic and not think that it's, it's a magic pill that's going to take everything away. It's not. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're making that motion. I think it's like, you know, the hand pointing at the moon thing from Buddhism, right? It's like, don't mistake the drug for the answer, right? Like the drug shows you that there's a possibility there, but you don't have to, it's not like an idol, right? You don't have to worship it. You don't have to um, always chase it. But it does right. be like, okay, there is um there is hope. I mean, I think that's I think what these can instill in a lot of people is just hope. And like I was saying before, taking things that we took for granted and just had as base assumptions just get in some cases pretty violently like blasted away, like just unmistakably just destroyed and mm -hmm. be like, whoa, right? Um, but there is that there is that long-term work, whether that be through therapy or meditation or ideally a combination of the both or you know, dropping baggage, doing trauma work, closing open loops, settling grudges. I mean, all the stuff that we talk about, like that's how you get there, right? You don't mm -hmm. get there through taking more drugs. You get there by clearing out your mind of all of those things that all the barriers that I think the drug illuminates, you know? That's right. Because ultimately, like I want you to fall in love with your life as it is, you know, in reality, not be high in order to feel alive and and uh in love right mm -hmm. um so this is a, this is a step on that path because you know it actually shows you how lovable you truly are and how fucking amazing life actually is and it, it can be just a motivator for all the work that we need to continue to do so yeah yeah absolutely you know and and i think like I'm a big proponent of it. I did a lot of psychedelics growing up. I attribute a lot of them to those glimpse moments that you talked about. And I think that like, it's probably going to be overprescribed for a while. I think similar to, you know, when Adderall came out or when Prozac came out or all these other big things, people were like, this was the answer to everything. Um, mm -hmm. And I think over time we'll learn how to systematize it, operationalize it and figure out what it actually does help people with. Um, yeah. I don't want to be a naysayer and my, my concern, and this may be more in Boulder is that I think there are many people who are chasing the dragon in their own lives and then get into this work as being a facilitator. And they kind of put on the, they kind of perpetuate that idea. 
right? Mm-hmm. Rather than I think what you're putting forth, which is a much more holistic, integrated version um, mm. of that. These things, yeah, they're part of a journey. They aren't the answer. Yeah, yeah, right. I think you know, for some people, you know, who are you know don't have spiritual practice, let's say, or who are who are just you know suffering. I think that it can be used, these things can be used in a very um, incisive way, almost like a scalpel, right? To help, like, say, somebody dealing with intense PTSD. Um, and then I think, you know, more broadly, it can be used for people who you know, have a lot of work under their belt or, you know, have a spiritual practice to even take things to the next level. But I think all of it really needs to be, I think, holistic is the right word. Yeah. I think and, that's going to be the safest thing for people. I think knowing what the intention is, right? I mean, set and setting. Um, so I'm talking a little bit with you before the show, but I think I'll share it here. So I do this like winter retreat thing every year where I rent a cabin alone for 10 days. And last year, um, or I guess this year, whatever, January of this year, right? I introduced mushrooms into that. I did a psilocybin trip and I you know, read the Psychedelic Explorer's Guide, which is a great book for those listening. If you want to learn the research and learn kind of the methodology, it's a very kind of clinical book, um, but it's great. And essentially, you know, wear an eye mask, you are in a blanket and you're basically just on the ground breathing, listening to usually some kind of soothing music. Um, I chose uh, like shamanic drumming for for my music. I find drum beats like very soothing and grounding, kind of earthy. Mm. Um, And I went in because I was feeling depressed. I was feeling really depressed towards the end of the year. And my intention was, I know mushrooms are good for depression. My intention was, I want to feel like the somatic, like body version of my depression. And I want to get to know that. Right? Like I don't want to, cause I can be too cerebral. Like I don't want to, I don't care about the reason. I don't care about trying to figure it out. I just want to feel what it feels like to be depressed. And I want to breathe into that space. Right. That was my goal. Right. It's amazing. And I, and I did that and it was really, really powerful. Like I was on the ground, you know, seeing the visuals and breathing and feeling like for, I think, again, somebody talked about the MDMA, like how there was like a, a haziness on my eyes. It was hard to focus on things. I felt heavy in my body and I was breathing into that. And I'll I'll tell you on this, on this show, like I was writhing on the ground. I was wheezing. I I felt like I was opening up new parts of my lungs. I was twitching. Like it was a very like visceral experience. I mean, similar to when you see people that do TRE, which is trauma release exercises, right? Where they like shake and move around and like discharge something. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know what that is. I mean, historically, maybe they're like, that's a spirit or a ghost. I think now we call it, you know, trauma or, you know, stress. Um, again, and the there's, like, like, whole, there's like holotropic breath work and stuff like that. Right. Like stuff that, yeah, that kind brings of us into those that. states. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I was just deep breathing and I was just like breathing like, I was like, okay, here's a part of my lung, like literally my lung that feels like clenched. I'm just going to breathe because I have a yoga background. I'm just going to breathe into that spot, breathe into that spot. And before long, I was, yeah, like wheezing, crying, like it was very, very visceral. That's and amazing. Afterwards, I felt great and I still feel good. And it's just like I had to get something out of me. And I'm using vague terms on purpose because, again, and this is, I know we have a lot of very intelligent listeners, like the why was the least important thing. And that was new mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Like, I want to go into right. experience without trying to figure it out. I just want to experience it primally. So, yeah, I mean, just, just to share that as like, a methodology that I think worked. I don't feel a need to do it. I mean, maybe I'll do it next year in December, but I don't, I don't need to go into that space all the time, but I did feel like this was like a, an application of that scalpel of like, I'm stuck in a rut. Nothing's really helping. Let me do this, be with the rut. And uh, it got me out, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. You're just like inspiring me a lot. Like it's really, it's amazing. Um. Yeah, and I think that you know psilocybin is probably on the horizon for me, but I think that my next bit is is really going to be about more MDMA and you know still trying to onboard this you know uh, the, the good feelings and and work with that fear um, before I you know go to that next step. But I, I think that you're really inspiring me. Yeah, and I think like you're highlighting that it's different you know different molecules for different people, different paths for different people, right? If right, you're listening right. out there, it's like certainly consult with someone who knows what they're doing. Always, I think, go slow in the beginning, especially if you're new to psychedelics in general or don't have a spiritual practice, like get used to what it's like to be in an altered state um, yeah. and move from there. As we're wrapping up, are there any other kind of tips or advice you'd give to people that are listening that maybe are 
are feeling inspired or want to get started on this path? Yeah. You know, I, uh, as you just said, what you said, I realized like that I don't think it would work for me to actually do any of this by myself. You know, actually, Mark, now that I I said that, I realized that I just recently have started to utilize a little bit of um, cannabis gummies in order to like press a little bit into some fear. And I do that by myself. But I think for a big piece of work, I needed uh, a container of somebody there holding space, let's say. Object, right. Right. So I don't, you know, I don't know... You know, from where I sit, I would, you know, caution people about running out, finding something and taking it by yourself. Mm-hmm. I really do study in your due diligence about good set, good setting, good mindset and good, um, you know, stable, safe environment with people you trust. Um, because it's just going to be a different thing. It's like what you put in, you get out, right? If you're just throwing spaghetti at the wall, you're going to get a mess. <laughs> Um, but like you, I'm really, I think part of the inspiration for me was just to hear like how you're like, this is what I want to do. And, you know, the medicine tends to give it to you, you know, which is a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. And pe- people are out there t- doing the work too. And I know that in some states, you know, certain things are legal and other things aren't illegal or are illegal. So it's like, you know, you really got to be careful and and do a lot of research. Yeah, do a lot of research. And the last thing I would add before we wrap up is respect the medicine, right? Like make sure that you're feeling fairly healthy before going into it. Make sure you've eaten like a healthy meal. Make sure you've gotten enough sleep. Like you don't have any alcohol in your system, right? Things like that. Like right. if you want to be a powerful experience, which I think it is for a lot of people, treat it as such, right? Don't take it flippantly. Don't do it in a party environment, right? Like this is, if you want to be medicine, treat it like medicine, I guess would be a last right. thing I would say. Right. 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 Um, and I think, yeah, like you said, having another person to create that container does a lot of that for you, which is nice. Um, right. So Corey, we, we always go by super fast. We have to wrap up. Um, can't wait to have you on the show again, but as we're wrapping up, where can people find you online? If they want to learn more about you or get in touch with you. Well, uh, yeah, you can, you can find me at my uh, website, which is uh, www.coreyflanders, um, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, jflanders.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's my main portal. And I have, you know, of course, uh, profiles on psychology today and uh, Zencare and other places as well. Awesome. Yeah, guys, check him out. If you want to learn more about Corey, I know he's really open and receptive to that. Uh, so thanks again for joining. And thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week. Another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same. <laughs>